with us this morning. The text for the sermon today and for next week is found at the end of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Give you a second to get there if you want to. Here we go. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Holy Spirit, write those words into our hearts this morning. This text for today and next week has a context. This beautiful, beguiling, gospel-saturated passage that I just read does not stand alone, as though it's one of Jesus' top ten quotes. It is the outpouring of Jesus' heart at a remarkably defining and discouraging moment in his life. After all that he had said and done so far, the people just didn't get him. They did not believe on him. Matthew 11 begins with none other than John the Baptist, who Jesus in this chapter says, he's the greatest man in all antiquity, no one greater. But it begins with John the Baptist in prison even he having his doubts about Jesus. Are you the one who have been waiting for? Or should we look for another? Jesus, you're so provincial. You're way out in Galilee. Nowheresville. You eat and drink with sinners. And furthermore, Messiah is about being a king. What kind of king are you, Jesus, when you don't seem to have any political aspirations. So to John, Jesus sends this reply. The blind receive sight, lepers are cleansed, the lame walk, the deaf hear again, the dead, plural, are raised up, and the poor have gospel preached to them. And we can almost hear Jesus' subtext. What more do I have to do to convince you people? 
How painful. How discouraging at this moment for Jesus to be Jesus. He filled this dark, raging world with such overflowing compassion from his glorious person. And even John's response is, well, maybe you are, maybe you're not, haven't made up my mind yet. You see, the Bible is very contemporary, isn't it? We know a lot of people like that, don't we? And then the very towns that Jesus frequented, like Capernaum, his headquarters, where Jesus did so many of his mighty works, supernatural works of mercy, eyewitnesses still abounded to all the miracles that he did, and yet those people did not repent and believe on him. Like the city of Dayton, Ohio, Orville and Wilbur Wright returned from their test flights at Kitty Hawk and regularly flew their planes just a little ways outside of town. And yet the paper in Dayton continued to disbelieve and say, well, someday soon I hope some man learns to fly. How painful. Most men would be crippled by such rejections. By such fickle people. Pastors after a couple years of COVID just gave up and quit. And it is against this disparaging news, a doubtful cousin and disbelieving cities that Jesus in our passage breaks into prayer and thanksgiving to his Father. Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. You see, for Jesus, every day was Father's Day, right? How instructive for us. Let's pause here a minute. How instructive for us. We are so inclined to whine, aren't we? I know I am. Instead, Jesus prays. The headlines and the attendance figures never tell us what's really going on in this world. God is still the Lord of heaven and earth. Amen? Amen. Not public opinion. So Jesus prays, and he does this so frequently throughout his life that his disciples, that's the one thing they come and say, teach us to pray like you do. And then at this moment, in this chapter, instead of taking a vacation from difficult and messy people, he gives an invitation to difficult and messy people. Surprisingly, Right here in this context, Jesus gives an altar call. Now, I don't know what your tradition here is on that. I know what my tradition isn't. But Jesus gives us an altar call and invites us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. That's perhaps the sweetest gospel invitation in the entire New Testament. Here the first rays of sunshine break into my weary, colorless darkness. And Jesus woos me like nowhere else. To walk down into these words that we're going to do today and next week is like walking down into Luray Caverns. Every step takes you further and further down into yet more beautiful and mysterious places. Here we reverently walk down into the very heart of Jesus. I'm going to say more about that. Nowhere else in all the Gospels, nowhere in all four Gospels, 90 chapters, whatever it is, do we ever hear Jesus tell us what's in his heart. But here he does. Here he says, I am gentle and humble. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We're going to do more on that one next week, but that's, that's like wings to a bird. It's like sails to a boat. My yoke is easy. This passage has become for me sort of like the Swiss army knife of gospel passages. You can carry it with you all the time, and it's useful and practical wherever you are. hope it becomes that for you. Philip Brown asked me what title I would like to give for this series. And I said, you're invited. Yes, each of you are invited. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I dare say that's all of us. Weary of the crush of our lives, Weary of advice like paddle faster? Burdened with disappointing relationships? Weary of the shadow respectabilities of religion? The new series, Bright and Shiny People. Burdened with the paralyzing sense of my own significance and meaninglessness in a world of celebrities, superstars, polarizing issues, and paralyzing overchoice. Yes, we are weary and need to come to Jesus. And yet in the midst of all of that that I just spoke about briefly, stands Jesus still after 2,000 years of criticism and cynicism He's still standing among us, calling sinners to himself. Calling the burned out and the burdened down to come to him and find rest. I read recently that the actor Jeff Bridges, talking about a very serious bout of cancer and then an even worse debilitating season of COVID, he said, some mornings I sometimes just wake up and say, Oh God, I got to do it all again. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah, you're allowed to nod your heads in here. You can even raise your hand if you want. I don't know what your practice is, but 
at the heart of our Presbyterian heritage is this countercultural, counterintuitive, startling message of God's grace for the least, the last, the little, and the undeserving. That's what we celebrate when we talk about grace. To all those who don't measure up, don't fit in, don't get any likes when they post, whose lives feel meaningless, whose relationships are drained of laughter, who always feel like the yellow fuel light on the dashboard of their lives has been on for quite a while. To those who mourn, to those who are meek, to those who are hungry and thirsty, to those who know that they are poor in spirit, have nothing in the tank to offer to God, these are the very ones that Jesus warmly invites to himself and come and find rest. And they do. As we sing at Christmas time, the weary world rejoices because the surprising business of the kingdom of God is joy, joy in our lives. Come to me. Can you begin to hear Jesus speaking that to you and me this morning? Even to us, who, as I have said once in a while, are over-churched and (laughs) under-Jesused. Can we hear this? Maybe you like David, or like Jesus quoting David, or like me in my own journal last Thursday, maybe you are saying more Psalm 22-ish in your life. My God, my God, why are you so far from the words of my groaning? I cry out by day. You don't answer. By night, and I find no rest. Rest. You can't overnight it from Amazon. Walgreens doesn't carry it. And Netflix is just a distraction. We need what Jesus offers here. The heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers is come to me. Bring the burden of your life to me and I will give you rest. I love the word of God. I really do. Not because it's a religious book, but the whole point of a revelation from God to us is that he speaks to us through his word. God is speaking to us, calling out to us in and through this passage. It's not enough to just understand the words. What we need to do is stand under the words, right? He's addressing us. Not just to take notes, but to take note that God is taking note of you. How amazing is that? When Presbyterians ordain men after they've been through seminary and all of that stuff, it's very instructive that in the actual liturgy of the ordination, They ordain a man not to being a pastor, 
not to being a preacher. They ordain a man to being a minister of the gospel. Isn't that cool? That's what pastors and preacher teachers should be doing and are doing all the time. Helping us hear the gospel again. Today, I want to, I want to look at this passage kind of whole both Sundays. So I'm breaking it up. Today I'm going to look at that first part about what is well-pleasing to God for him to reach out to little people and hide it from the sophisticated and then open up a little bit more on verse 29 about the heart of Jesus being lowly and humble. Next week, so that was, did you notice that was only a two-point sermon? Not a three, just a two. So there is grace in the summertime, right? Uh, next week, the two points, the first one, is a very difficult and challenging one. The exclusivity of Christ in an inclusive age. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom he chooses to reveal him. That's a difficult subject for us to handle next week. And then the second part next week will be not just come to me, but take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So, first point today, God's surprising choices. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus' prayer here surprisingly isn't for the Father to fill churches with more people, but to be filled up in himself with a greater appreciation for the startling truth at the center of how God works, how God's way is on earth, the way he's pleased to work. This is what pleases him. Who are God's favorites? Who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Listen again to Jesus' prayer. Verse 25. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, or in the Greek, this was pleasing to you to do things this way. This is actually his sovereign plan. The universe is filled with this reality that is much greater than a public opinion polls. God's building materials for his kingdom seem more to come from goodwill than from name brand stores. God actually chooses to take a guy like Moses who stuttered and make him the greatest leader and the most humble man on earth. Louis Zamperini, you may have read the book or seen the two movies, actually. He's a World War II hero. He survived two plane crashes, 47 days adrift in the ocean, and a hellish Japanese POW camp. But his real battles came when he came home. He had PTSD. He was raging with unforgiveness, alcohol, and depression. He was losing these battles, and he was losing his wife until she practically dragged him to the Billy Graham crusade in 1949 in Los Angeles. And at the end of that evening, when Graham offered the invitation for people to come down front, 
Louis stood up, went to the end of his aisle, and he walked straight out the back door of the tent saying, I'm a good man. I'm a good man. I'm a good man. I'm a good man. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear what he's doing there? He's protecting himself from the gospel with the oldest Teflon vest in the book, self-righteousness. I'm a good man. I'm an Olympic runner. I'm a World War II hero. I don't need the crutch of Jesus. I'm a good man. And that has always been the greatest defense against the amazing grace of the gospel. Jesus' replied to John the Baptist was, Blessed are those who keep from stumbling over me. And so because Jesus, not Billy Graham, but Jesus was calling Louis to, his, to himself, his wife dragged him back the next night, and this time when the invitation was given, somehow God's marvelous grace pulled Louis to come forward rather than retreat. Jesus saves. Jesus saves a broken down man, alcoholic, depressed, ruining his marriage. and says, you need me. You need the rest that I only can provide. Does God have favorites? Yes, he sure does. Throughout both Old and New Testaments, he's hidden himself from the wise and sophisticated and revealed himself to little children. The little ones. Those who are little in their own eyes and no longer concerned who they are in the world's eyes. The poor in spirit, not those who are full of themselves, get the kingdom of God. The meek who don't make their way through the world elbowing past the undermotivated, undereducated, underachieving riffraff of the world. But it's that very riffraff that flocked to Jesus and were welcomed with open arms by him. Can you hear it yet? This is gospel. This is God's amazing way of working in our world. Calvin on this passage says, We always seek the brilliant and the attractive, and nothing seems more incongruous than that the heavenly kingdom of the Son of God, its glory so magnificently extolled by the prophets, should consist of the offscourings and rejects of the people. And yet it is this God's wonderful purpose that with the whole world in his hands, he prefers to choose his people from the humble than the leaders who think that they are going to come to Christ and adorn him with their excellence. doesn't work that way. Jesus in Matthew 18. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus calls a little child, like the one that was up here, a little child, not a child, but a little child, stands him in the midst of his august company of apostles and said, Here's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Unless you change and humble yourself like a little child, you won't even get in. Now the heart of Jesus. The question that was on the lips of John the Baptist is the question that has echoed down through history. Are you the one we've been waiting for, Jesus? 
Are the hopes and fears of all the years really met in you, Jesus? That's the question. Who is Jesus? Every civilization that has ever lived on this earth has believed in God, and our own currency is stamped within God we trust. So the real question is not whether or not you believe in God, but the real question, the most important question is, what is the God like that you believe in? That's the really important question. Is he an ogre? Is he a sheriff? Is he capricious, doling out suffering, whim after whim? What is your God like? And Martin Luther answers us and says, Stop trying to climb up to heaven to find out what God is like. We know no other God than the one revealed to us in the babe in the manger and the man on the cross. Incarnation and redemption. Jesus is the best selfie that God ever took. In Jesus, God gets a face. And right here, Matthew eleven twenty eight. we get something more than just what Jesus said or did, but he actually tells us what's in his heart. He says, I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart. That's the only place we read it. The dominant note, left ringing in our ears after reading all four Gospels, the most vivid and arresting focal point in the portrait that they give us of Jesus is the way this self-revelation of Jesus' heart is played out in the way the Son of God moves, listen to this, the way he moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it. That's what God is like. That's why Jesus came to earth, to show us that's what your God is really like. Matthew 9, 36. He saw the crowds and was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you don't know Jesus as gentle and humble, if you think of him as legalistic, rigid, ready to walk away from you or hold his nose if he has to come near to you, then you don't know Jesus. Because he tells us himself, I'm gentle and humble. Central to our understanding of the Savior. He didn't come to call the righteous He came to call sinners. Doctors don't go to the healthy, they go to the sick. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came for sinners and sufferers. This is who he is, this is what he does, this is what he still does. And this is what he still does in my life over and over 490 times. That's my Jesus. My wretchedness at times actually triggers him to do what he loves to do. He loves to be my Savior. That's what he came to earth to do. Are you tracking this? I'm passionate about this. This is good stuff. Jesus actually moves towards us 
at those very times in our lives when we think he's disgusted. He's fed up with me. Chuck Colson, Yale-educated lawyer, special counsel to the president, walking the halls of the White House. One night, he sat in his car out in Maryland and wept uncontrollably because he had just heard the invitation of Jesus. He couldn't stop. Humble pastor in a small village on a remote mountaintop in northern Nicaragua. I got to pray with him. Even he was broken and in need of a gentle and lowly Savior. A young mother of two boys, wife of an airline pilot, lovely home in the right section of Roanoke, heard the call of Jesus to lay it all down at his feet, told me she was so taken away that Jesus came to her that when she would stop at a red light, oftentimes she would just start weeping with joy. He came for me? And a tough, natural leader of men, handsome, big, tough, gang leader at Wallens Ridge State Penitentiary, maximum security prison. When this guy moved through the crowd, they parted. And he came to me. And he said, Tom, we were doing Cairo's prison ministry in there. He said, Tom, I hear it, and I am weary of all of this stuff. And over there, by that four-foot-high wall in front of the latrines in the gym at the center of that prison, he bowed and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, knowing all the while it would be very, very costly for him. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't give us a book to read or a five-fold path to accomplish. He doesn't promise a lazy boy recliner or a vacation at the beach. He doesn't promise easy. He doesn't promise simple. He promises to give us something better. Rest for our noisy, accusing souls. We need this. In our friendless alienated, polarized, opinionated, accelerating world, we need the very thing Jesus promises here. It's June. Think about it. We can't even get through our annual family reunion without getting into arguments and conflict. We don't have the inner resources. We need what Jesus has to offer. So that's the invitation this morning. We'll do some more work on this next week. But in conclusion, I would say this. Lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Fifty years ago, I heard this in my heart for the very first time. And in room 208 of Jordan Hall, At Penn State, I knelt beside my bed and I gave my life to Jesus knowingly. And what I need to tell you this morning is I have never, I've had 
doubts. I've had knots in my relationships. I've had failings. But I have never, ever regretted giving my life to him to make something of it that I could never have made myself. Come to Jesus. Do you know that in your Bibles, the last chapter of Revelation ends with that same invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let me pray. Join me in praying. Lord, we praise you that you are very much a Savior, a shepherd, a friend, a physician of our souls. Lord, when we are broken, you lift us up. When we are crushed in spirit, you actually draw near to us. When we have sinned yet again, you give your forgiveness because of the blood of the cross. Jesus, I pray that we would be a people that has a different fragrance or aroma about our lives in the midst of this kind of world we're living in. Help us, Jesus, to offer a fragrance of people who know something about a rest that is supernatural. Help us, Jesus. That's the most basic prayer of all. Helplessness. Lord, we don't even know how to pray. And so you give us the Holy Spirit to help us pray in our great weakness. Help us love one another. That is the mark of your disciples. And Lord, there are places right now in our, our hearts and our lives in this congregation where we know we're not doing that. We've given up or we've written them off. We tell ourselves they need to make the first move. Lord, help us, we pray, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We pray for this city, that you would crown it with the ministry of the gospel, alive in people's hearts. We pray for good business to employ people and make this city alive and thriving. We pray that we would find meaning in our lives on Monday through Saturday because of how you've gifted us and called us. We pray for our leaders here and nationally that the fear of the Lord would be always the beginning of their wisdom and understanding. Lord, we pray for our children. Our hearts ache today with some of the things that are attacking them. We pray for them, Lord, that just like you taught us, deliver them from all evil. And now join me as we pray aloud together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.